Hello, story seekers. I'm Ben. I'm Nico, and you're listening to The Tiny Bookcase. Welcome to this Right Like episode. As you know, in these episodes we talk about famous and infamous writers while tackling prompts in their honour. Style, structure, tone. We intend to see what happens when we borrow from the greats. Our writer today was a German-American poet, novelist and short story writer. Later in life he stated in an interview that... Each line must have its own power, its own feeling, its own juice, its own flavour. Writing must never be boring. We're talking about Charles Bukowski. Or I think his full name is Henry Charles Bukowski, actually, but I think his pen name was Charles Bukowski. Just under the Charles, yeah. Mm. It's, uh, I, I love referring to, to lines in a, a story having juice. That's, yeah, I think that's it, great. It, it's pretty relatable, isn't it? You can sort of tell because it's not, you know, he's not talking about orange juice. He's talking about the kind of juices you get on your chin when you bite into a juicy steak. Yeah. Like it, cause it's that this big burst of flavor into your mouth. That you, over, that's overflowing. You want to feel like if you gripped the book, it would bleed story. That's, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're so tiny. Like um, the two books that I own of his are his first and last books. So I've got, Post Office and Pulp. Um, yeah. Post Office, which he wrote about his experience as a postal worker. And it was the, the one that catapulted into his life as a writer. And Pulp, which he wrote. It's, um, it's a pastiche of a detective story that he wrote whilst dying of leukemia. You've, you've told me about this one before. Yeah. It sounds fantastic from what yeah. you've told me. Yeah, it's very good. Um. Yeah, it opens with him trying to jerk off over the phone to someone's voice, so it's quite <laughs> <pretty> strong. <laughs> oh, that's for, for anyone listening who, uh, like me, before we started this uh, the prep for this episode, wasn't really familiar with the work of Charles Bukowski. Buckle in, that's the light shit. Yeah, pretty much. He's he's a fairly unrepentant, dirty old man. I think he even wrote something called "Notes from a Dirty Old Man" or something. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's what, that was my first step in. Oh, really? And uh, it's it's filth and it's glorious. <laughs> it it's, it, it's not often that I, I you know, you get about ten lines into someone and you go, "All right, I'm in. Go, just whatever you want, just do it." Do it to me. I, I guess that's the every line has its own juice, its own flavour. It only took a little bit for me to go, all right, yeah, I get it. I, I get this. The thing that really strikes me about him, in on like looking back at him now, is how authentic he appears to have been. Because I, in preparation for this, I listened to a bunch of interviews that he'd, he'd done. And he's, he, he speaks like this. Like, that's how he talks. He doesn't really dress it up for his books he just talks onto the page yeah. and it's not it's not stream of consciousness but it is his conversation there's a uh, dialogue perhaps there's a little prologue to uh to dirty old man where he's he's talking about uh when he he got a job writing for a paper and it's where a lot of these stories came from that then later grew into books and he he'd been writing poetry, and he was sick of writing poetry because what happened was you you gave them to a publisher, they never went anywhere, and then you'd find lines from your poems in a far more famous poet's work. Oh fuck! And he was like, "No, I'm done with that." And then a friend of his, who was a journalist, who had helped make a newspaper really successful, and then didn't like the direction it was taking, left them and became their main rival. <laughs> Uh, but you know, he said to Chuck, "Just you know, whatever, just write stuff, just just write for me, write what you want to write." And he he tried to write by sitting down and making a plan. It didn't work. But as soon as he cracked open a couple of beers, started drinking, and just let words happen, yeah, that's where he said it's it's easy. When you do that, it's easy, and it's never boring. That's quite fascinating, isn't it? Because wasn't it um, Hunt, we, Hunter S. Thompson, one of the other people that we've done a write like episode on, he was he i think he claims that if he didn't have drugs he would have just been a, a boring accountant or something he yeah he, he required this to write 
And it's a bit of a strange thing, that isn't it? They talk about alcohol removing your inhibitions, so maybe they were in their head about it. Yeah. Um, very yeah, it, interesting to have to like change your mental state to actually become prolific. Um, but I think a lot of people do it. I did once read a bit about how how he drank just an absolute ton of beer and cutty sark. <laughs> which is just I don't know about you, there's no way I could have more than a couple of like stiff drinks and have anything coherent to put on the page. I, I've tried. Have you? Yeah, I've 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 definitely tried at points. I've come home and I've thought I've got a brilliant idea. I'm gonna write this down. And then I come back to it in the morning and it is the scrawlings of a madman. Oh, but that's like after a night out. I mean, like, sit down with an unopened bottle of whiskey. Oh, and work through it. And open it in order to write. Like, that's just you really You surprise yourself with your twist ending the next day, don't you, when you read back? <laughs> this but is pretty remember, good. I remember writing up to here, but wow, this really <laughs> takes off. <laughs> Why? Somewhere in the middle, it becomes some kind of love letter to an old girlfriend. That's really weird. Um, it's this bit where suddenly these two women in Middle England say, well, fuck you, Mr. Beauregard, and shatter the bottle. Oh, that really picks up. <laughs> so he once said that um, heavy drinking is a substitute for companionship, and it's a substitute <laughs> for suicide. It's a secondary way of life. Hi, yeah. Uh, Which, um, yeah, I mean, we've spoken about some some authors before that have uh, killed himself. I'm fairly sure we spoke about Hemingway shooting himself. Yeah. Um, but he didn't. He died of leukemia, so it's, uh, I guess that's the happy ending. Um... <laughs> that's a fucking reach, man. <laughs> bit of a reach, bit of a reach. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Bukowski is something else. I didn't... I didn't encounter him on, on my degree or through you know, uh, adults that I was around, you know, it, he's not the kind of writer that someone puts in your hand. I don't think it's, anyone goes like, read that. It's not you, Tolkien where you're on. No, no, no. Or, or, but <laughs> like, or this. yeah, it just, I don't think he's required reading for anything apart from life. life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great minds, man. Um, But uh, so you've kind of got to be already lo looking for him. I think you've got to have a bit of a Bukowski shaped hole. Um, that needs that um, that bit of like force of nature, and, and a little dash of angst. It has to be said, like he's quite emotionally driven. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you catch if you catch it at just the right time, which I think I did in my sort of early twenties, you get really into his style of writing and immediately try and ape it, um, and get obsessed with this concept of this like you know drunken writer. Which yeah. is incredibly unproductive and unprofessional in any other context. And in, and even in this context as well. Theoretically um, useful at university, though. <laughs> theoretically useful at university. But, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I think, for me, he was more useful as like um, a counter to the overly literary stuff that I was having to read at the time. Yeah, I can see he, that. He's just so vulgar and raw it's really intoxicating to read and his his novels are quite short he writes short stories and poetry you can absorb a lot of him quite quickly and it all feels somehow quite poignant even though it's coming from a man who can't walk straight um yeah it's it's good stuff so i i know he's um he's also got some like bad connections as well like you know but there's pretty overt sexism in his books for example that's, yeah. that's very much the personality of the man um like when he was asked who he lost his virginity to, he said uh, it, a three hundred pound whore, uh, which is pretty aggressive. Yeah, um, it's not. It's not kind, is it? It's not a kind no. reflection. And it's you know that story is all about him being um, a twenty four year old virgin because um, he wasn't a handsome man and uh, didn't have any money and etc. And so yeah, he. Um, he he loses he misplaces his wallet after the fairly unpleasant lovemaking, right? And um immediately accuses her of having stolen it from him. Oh, and says and fuck. says 
says a lot of really horrible stuff to her. Oh no. Then after she leaves in floods of tears and all the rest of it, he finds it under the bed that they broke. <laughs> and oh. chase <laughs> it doesn't end there. Chases after her. Um doesn't find her, so goes back to the bar that he found her in. And meanwhile, she's already told the story to these barflies that frequent this bar. And the bartender um bans him. So he can't even get in to apologize. Oh man. Yeah. That's awkward. Yeah, it's pretty awkward, isn't it? Yeah. It's uh so we're gonna attempt to <laughs> To see through those goggles. <laughs> to put those goggles on. And uh yeah, give it give it a bit of a go, I think. It's um But yeah, force of nature, Charles Bukowski, I think. Well in that case, like the man himself, let's get to the point. Ben, you're up, and the prompt is more bones. More bones. It wasn't big enough, I thought, squinting at the bone in my hand. It was necessary that the work had to be done in the dark. Even the dimwits of my tribe would have questions if they saw me pulling it apart and slotting it back together again. Bones the colour of hot piss lay around me, on the rock, which jutted out of my cave like a tongue. The moon glowed above the trees, and I knew the fool at the other end of the valley would be working on his bones too. There was a trick to it, like everything else in being a big wise man. You start with the largest bones you can find, and work the smallest ones in as you go. It had been a long time since I'd been able to boil the soupy flesh from a big thick bone though. The men had stopped dying when the war for the valley ended. My bone totem had grown taller and thicker up until then. The people had stopped sending their women to my cave when they grew tired of the fighting, so I'd stomped out to make peace. The other tribe's big wise man had met me in the middle of the valley, and we danced for each other. I'd waggled my nuts and shaft at him as I leapt and tottered around the clearing, and he'd done the same with his filth-matted man-parts. Then we'd spoken. We'd weaved some magic, the two of us, that meant no war could happen in the valley. He didn't return the knowing twinkle of my eye. That made him one of the crazy ones, that actually believed in it all. I was just in it for the ass and the bones, but I couldn't let him know that. So we sealed the deal with an exchange, a little finger from each of us, snatched by a stone axe. Now, my finger was across the valley in his totem, and I kept his in mine. Bone followed bone, and I ate mushrooms to show me the way. I feared it would fall over, but it had to be tall, taller than his. I placed a careful lattice of bones on top of each other, using the skulls to plug the gaps. It had to stretch up over everyone, my big totem of bones. So I built it up and up until it seemed to challenge the night's clouds. I had to drag a log over and stand on it in order to place the final bones. My predecessor's skull went on top, everyone knew that, where he could see what was happening. I tucked the small finger bones of peace between that skull's teeth. The mushrooms eventually laid me out, and I woke up in a tree with too much sun on my face. Someone had put acorns in my ass, probably me. I crapped them out from a great height and climbed down, feeling sore back there. Members of the tribe might come and visit me soon for the blessing of the new moon. I pulled on the stinking furs and antlered helmet I liked to impress them with and waited by my bones. My ass itched from the acorn spurs but I didn't let myself scratch as the tribe began to arrive. More than I'd anticipated came, some being carried by others. A sickness, I was delighted. On their simple faces, I saw the need to believe, a sweaty fervour that there might be more to their existence than the life they had already lived. I capered and bade them lay the ill folk upon the tongue of rock by my bone totem. The invalids were adults, coughing and wheezing, with sweat all over their bodies. I took my jagged stone I used for cutting meat and sawed their clothes off. One pretty thing had me salivating at the thought of clamping my mouth around her parts when I revealed them. I knew I'd have to wait until dark for that, when the tribe would sleep and leave her in my care. The shapely long limbs of the men and women that the tribe sobbed over sparkled with sweat. All those lovely long bones being wasted inside ribbons of muscle and the shackles of skin. 
To break a coughing fever is simple enough. You just mix the invalid's blood with some ash and spit, then paste the stuff over their bodies and place them by a roaring fire. Should they die, though, especially with my mushrooms chivying them along, my bone totem would soar. I set to work on chewing up the mushrooms and spitting them in their panting mouths as the tribe watched. All except the woman. Her I wanted to work on some more that night, so I only gave a little dribbling taste from my mouth. One by one as the day wore on, they coughed out their last. I screamed when they died and painted my exposed body with ashen paste which cracked as I moved. I danced for them, cursing the evil spirits who snatched their breath, my feet pounding out a circle around the bone totem. The tribe were distraught and their wailing filled me with purpose. I set my cauldron to boil over a crackling fire once they were all dead, and as the water heated, I watched every bead of sweat trickle over the remaining woman's skin. I skillfully jointed the dead with the finger axe and my razor stone. The families watched me throw body parts into the jumping water and begin the process of preparation. It started with a creak as the moon came out. I stared up into its pale face at the noise and then down at my bone totem. It seemed to shift horribly in the shadows. My stomach lurched as it began to fold over. In a moment, the bones fell with a jangling crash. The big ones bounced away and the smaller ones scattered over the tongue rock. I was frozen until the angry shout started. The tribe, in their simple minds, had got the full notion that their big wise man was to blame. His prayers had failed and their people were dead, they shouted. Those big simple faces which had held desperate faith hours earlier were now twisted into sweating masks of revenge. They seized me and tore my furs from me. One man snatched my antlers and smashed them. A savage pummeling only ended when a high voice called for it. The woman, still naked but no longer coughing, stood and pointed at the cauldron. Her eyes were wide and round from the mushroom taste I had given her. I screamed curses as they dragged me to it. I grabbed onto the sides, my knuckle bones nearly pushing through the skin. My palms and fingers blistered on the hot metal, until one man broke my wrists with a rock. The men dumped me into the scalding water head first. They took care that my skull would be clean and polished for the next big wise man, or, as it turned out, woman. That was fucking wicked. I'm glad you like it. I really do. It's there's something about his style, right, that you've captured perfectly, which is that there are things that make you laugh even when they're bizarre and horrific because of the way it's told. Okay, that's that's fun. Like I, I was still chuckling about someone who put acorns in my ass, probably me. As he was, like, wholesale murdering these young men and planning to rape a woman. Like, <laughs> that's... He's a crazy big wise man. Well, yeah. Oh, God, what, what a nice uh, conceit as well to have him, like, be a non-believer and in it for the con. Yeah, he's in it for the he ass. he really likes ass and bones. <laughs> I have, it's the first thing I have written down on my notes here is just in it for the ass and the bones. <laughs> what a slogan. You need that on a shirt. <laughs> yeah. You know, some just some really lovely things in there. The idea of this man thinking everyone else is crazy and stupid. Meanwhile, he is a bone hoarder and clearly also a lunatic, <laughs> a mushroom addled madman. But I, yeah, just really enjoyed it. Yeah, it had a lot of fun writing it. How um, did you find that process? Absolutely fine. I yeah, you know, I think what we're trying to do here is not write perfect facsimiles of the chosen styles. Like it's write like, not write write exactly not write like, as. not not, not yeah. create. Yeah, like um, so. I think the things that I enjoyed were like the moments of explosive vulgarity, um, yeah. the constant obsession with uh, 
I think you'd call it like a pre-apic obsession. Like he's really into his like tall bone tower, which is a fairly yeah. obvious uh, allusion to a dick. Wait, what? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and this is fairly common in um, in Bukowski's writing, although he normally doesn't veil it as well as I did there. You know, skillfully veiled it so you didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, you would have called it his like quivering bone cock or whatever. <laughs> I think I, I think the the guy wouldn't have left left his cave and he would have just sat there just jerking off and drinking. <laughs> um, yeah. So this idea of being obsessed about bones, yeah, it was, it all sort of came from that. Yeah. Um, I I liked doing a little bit of a turn that his this wise man's power is sort of divested and and um, passed on to a woman. Next, I thought that was like, for me, it's it's the more uncomfortable bits in Bukowski's writing are his sexism. Yeah. Um. So to sort of create like a false caveman society. Uh, you know this imaginary caveman society where this they're led by these hokey religious leaders, but at least there's no gender divide. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's one of the few okay things about this. And of course, she basically orchestrates a lynching. She burst right through the bone ceiling. It was yeah, straight through the bone ceiling. Cascades <laughs> of femurs everywhere. Oh, it's all just females and femurs, your stories. <laughs> all those lovely long bones being wasted. Ben. They're just in being the... wasted in people's bodies, man. Like... Yeah, in the shackles of skin. That was... That's yeah. I like that. Yeah. I uh, Yeah, just, I like the idea that... But he... It's not in that order. The, the order is ass and then bones. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, he, he stopped a war because he wanted to get ass again. <laughs> <laughs> it's appeared to be something of a fanny drought. I think an armistice. <laughs> Wasn't this horrible idea that they were just bringing women to his cave because yeah. he's the big wise man? Oh, it's yeah. Like, imagine if that sort of things like that were happening in real life, Ben. Wouldn't that be horrible? Oh, <laughs> watches Conan sadly. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, cries in fantasy literature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I had a lot of fun with it. Um, very much not set in a contemporary setting, which is where a lot of his stuff is. Yeah. Um, so I haven't, I haven't aped him there. I think the vulgarity and the way that he talks in the first person, I think I've got a little bit of in here. Um, but I think you can still tell it was written by me, but maybe not in a bad way. So I'm, I'm fairly I don't happy think with it. Bad way at all. I think. Mm. Using your your ability as a writer and your modern sensibilities to add that twist actually gave the story a level it wouldn't have achieved. Well, I'm but... sure he would have found something else if he was. Oh to yeah, write he would have done a very would... yeah, different yeah. thing. Um, yeah. I'm not saying it wouldn't have been a good thing, but I'm saying you did something he wouldn't have. Yeah, for sure. And that's what keeps this interesting. I think that's that's why it worked. Yeah, yeah. No, I enjoyed it. He's um, he, he's a fascinating writers to try and in interact with because we've you know recently looked at Rudyard Kipling who's the vernacular is incredibly difficult to get the hang of yes um whereas you can just be like put you can just put some americanisms and some vulgarity in and you could get away with right like i think um but it's that tone you know we spoke at the start about like getting some flavor in yeah. And I tried to make every line on its own interesting in some way. Like, I don't think there's any boring lines in there, at least not to me. Um, so hopefully, I, I I think I did achieve what I set out to do, which was to attempt to not write something boring. <laughs> I, 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 have to dis I have to disagree. No, <laughs> I have to disagree. It was boring. No. <laughs> I would not disagree. I think that you, uh, I think you really did land it. That's fun. He's. Um, did you read any of his uh, poetry? I read a couple. Anything I, stand out for you? I'll be honest. No, I, I, I did it in a really crappy way, which was go, I went on on his website, and you can read them in. Uh, they they look like they've been scanned from the original typewriter. Oh, okay. 
So I actually had quite a hard time reading it. Oh, was it like quite grainy? Yeah, because it was it was like three pixels per word. It was quite Art difficult to read. Over the place and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I I was getting the the kind of flavor of how he writes and lots of like interesting uses of repetition and, but I don't think I I managed to really absorb any of it unfortunately. There's one that I listened to a long time ago because there is a recording of him reading it out. Yeah. Um, which is really good. Um, it's called Friendly Advice to a Lot of Young Men. And it is quite fascinating. At the time, I was I was on a poetry writing module. Yeah. Because I was at uni and they do these sorts of things there. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was sort of... It, I, I, I wanted to drag in a bit of Bukowski at the time and I probably like overate him, I think. But this is the poem that sparked it off for me. Um, which I'm going to read it to you now. I'm going to subject you to it. I'm ready. So, friendly advice to a lot of young men. By Charles Bukowski. Go to Tibet. Ride a camel. Read the Bible. Dye your shoes blue. Grow a beard. Circle the world in a paper canoe. Subscribe to the Saturday Evening Post. Chew on the left side of your mouth only. Marry a woman with one leg and shave with a straight razor. And carve your name in her arm. Brush your teeth with gasoline. Sleep all day and climb trees at night. Be a monk and drink buckshot and beer. Hold your head under water and play the violin. Do a belly dance before pink candles. Kill your dog, run for mare. Live in a barrel. Break your head with a hatchet. Plant tulips in the rain. But don't write poetry. I mean, at 32, I might not qualify as someone who can receive that advice anymore. <laughs> but I feel like I followed some of it. Yeah, I think, I think you did actually. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I miss my paper canoe. I'm not. Gonna... <laughs> You're gonna say you miss your dog. <laughs> no, he got the better of me in that fight. <laughs> now I'm just waiting for someone who wants to marry a man with one leg. Uh, it's, but yeah, it's really yeah. interesting form, isn't it? The way it kind of spirals apart. It starts almost sensible, and descends into madness. Yeah, yeah, and it and it, it it grows like the more the the stranger things are the more complicated lines. Um yeah. there's nothing wasted on it, there's no fat on it. It looks borderline unformatted written down. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's it's fascinating stuff. I really I mean, enjoy it. Shave with a straight razor, marry a woman with one leg, carve your name into her arm. Yeah, that's pretty that's, fucked up, isn't it? That's horrendous. It's fairly horrendous, yeah. <laughs> It's, um, oh. I think this idea of like he's clearly looking for like a permanent indelible imprint on somebody. Yeah, uh, I think he was a quite a lonely man. Um, I yeah, and it with this you know this uh, sort of penchant for uh, like um, hyper expression and emotional outpouring which gets real crazy at times because the things that people think in their head are kind of crazy before they put them through a filter. And we know that he wrote drunk, so did, that filter was just removed and tossed aside. Good, though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the thing. There's so much... This is what makes people end up being writers you should study, isn't it? When you, you can talk about it and break it apart and at the end you do just kind of land on, but it's good, though. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think that he would object to anyone saying that he should, they should study him. You know, it, it, pulp, it, that last novel of his is the dedication is to bad writing, which is such an extra thing to do in the book that you're writing as you die, which is a yeah. pastiche of the detective genre about death. It's, yeah, it's died as he lived, I think. Um, but we're on, but we're on more bones, so uh, we're oh. going to have to have your entry, man. Oh, all right. More bones. It was no small thing we were doing, turning so many miles of sodden dirt, shit-smeared swathes of good old American soil, into what the politicians' pet wordsmiths would call a new frontier for the modern age. The people suckled at the teat of these tight-collared boy-sniffers as though they starved without it, mindless, 
a stiff drink short of an interesting conversation, and lacking the cock and balls to fill a glass to the brim and make something fucking happen. The men around me were prisoners, same as I was. Robbers and killers, hustlers and rapers, hornswogglers and philistines, sons of bitches and innocent men too deep in the lie. Not that any man could ever be innocent. Men wearing rags that had swaddled more asses than you would want to count, still wearing those sticky stains in front and back of a thousand other men. You see, they take away the drawers from you, as the elastic could be used to kill a man, have his eyes bulging and bending and sloshing out to make space for air that he does not have. Uh, should you be so inclined, which many of my present company would be, to indulge in such perverse delights. So you could feel the long-dried jizz-streaks that desperate hands had rubbed into the cloth, the coarseness of the material twinned with that of the act, the rough, grunting chorus of indentured men, music to a jailer's ears, the soft sucking of a cheap cigar, less than five bucks a box and shared between them all, mimicking a mouth around every stiff cock in the joint. We had found the third heap of bones for the day as we dug like rats into the deep soil. For the month of digging, it was our twenty-third. The first skeleton had been shocking, its beads rattling against the long dry bones, now so rudely thrust into the air, an impotent cock into the sodden pussy of nature. Those guards had run at first, no spine in any of them, just bubbling vats of semen masquerading as machismo. We, the digging folk, had cried out. In the mud still was the feathered plumage of the long-dead soul. Now it was dirt and shit and pieces of bird, all of which stuck to the bones. One of the men said that we ought to bury them back, abandon the thing. Well, the drivers were not on for that. Too much money swapping pockets in darkened rooms a lifetime away from here. Men with beautiful broads dangling from their arms and their cocks, and powder whooshed into their brains, and peaty, meaty scotches dribbled on their collars and leaking from their orifices, and tucked between their folds of fat were hundred-dollar bills that ought to belong to the men out here digging. Tucked into the folds. They said, Dig on, dig on! And we were nothing but men already dead. If one of us had fallen in and croaked our last, they'd have piled us up with the skeletons, of which there were now enough to start two teams, and I'm sure soon a league of some macabre game. They'd say nothing of a prayer, just take the pants again to let someone else feel the rub of our loads. One fellow was crowing plenty now, what with all the bones we had found. The guy seemed half queer with his jellies quaking like they were and all folks that could were standing far away from him. Engines! he cried out. Engines is what we found here. Now we all got a curse on us. Fucking idiot can't see that the curse is already on us. We're no longer men. We are squint-eyed moles, burrowing and furrowing away, sniffing at the wreck and ruin for a crumb of salvation. A mound of bones ain't cursing us more than we already got cursed. Not a drop of beer has passed my lips in more than a year. I'm so dry from thirst and lack of a woman I'd welcome crabs now, just for an excuse to have the doctor look at me. She was a fine-looking broad, the doctor at the clink, all nylon-wrapped legs and short dresses. She knew what she was doing, the doc. Wouldn't take the job otherwise. I knew she was taking inches from some of the other lost men, but not mine. I was too short, too white. I could have showed her something, though. Mine crooks to the left. Sure, she's never seen anything like it. I wonder if she's a fine-looking woman, truly, or if it's the starvation that makes me think she is. A man on an island would drink a glass of piss if you told him it was brandy. Lick his lips and thank you, too. You're blind to it, then. The horror of it all. Maybe I am. I fumbled for a smoke that wasn't there. I could have used a smoke. 
Perhaps you're just too stupid, too ugly and small and insincere to understand the power of the world and the universe and spirits and demons. Fuck off, would you? See? A crass man, a pimple, probably arrested for molesting an infant, a jellyfish, a smear, a boiled egg with no salt, nothing of a man. I was done with politeness. I was a great many things, but not some deranged boy fucker. No rape tarnished my soul. Plenty of other marks, but not that, and least of all from him. Fuck off, I say. He still was whining, the man who believes in a curse. His eyes were wide, like a deer startled by the penetration of a stronger buck. His pick for digging was in the mud. Rain softened it, and its sitting place, too. I imagined it melting down, buried like a stiff rod into an ass. Nothing but a brown mess and a satisfying plop on the way out. Ought to be going elsewhere, I thought. His voice was irritating to me, buzzing like a fly. Little wings humming around your ears, L like a fly. Where's a rolled-up paper when you need one? I took up his pick before it could be swallowed. What are you doing with that? He asked. I didn't know yet. I was deciding as I did it. More you, I murmured. The words poured out, spilled, uselessly, in a fashion befitting all things spilled among this company. I brung the thing up high in my hand, clumsy, in my left. My right, the good hand, held my own pick. I did not want to dirty it. I brought it down hard and fast on him, popping into the top of his head, clean and quick, like sliding a wallet into a pocket, like bourbon into the belly of any sensible man, raw and twisting and good. Like pieces of eggshell, head cracked in and I pulled back. Like opening a beer, the whole top came off his head. I watched it slosh and drop into the mud. More mess, more bones. I can hear them shouting at me, not sure if it's the cocksuckers or the other cursed men, so I go back to digging. I see little bits of the dead man swell around my shoes. They are ruined. They won't go on another pair of feet. Good. Fuck em. Miles away, a dollar bill comes loose from its fat-fold grave. Then another. A pair of shoes. A bullet. All expenditure. The only thing that's free is even more bones. That was fucking great. Like, legitimately fantastic. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. Yeah, I, I, was, I was completely enthralled. It was, it was so gross. So gross. <laughs> As to be, as to actually like transcend grossness and become art. That's <laughs> possibly the best compliment I've ever had. Like, I thought the first time you were talking about the semen crust on the trousers, I thought, that's pretty heavy. To mention it like three or four more times <laughs> was like, was genius, I would say. Um, the <laughs> deranged the, genius, perhaps. The fucking, like, the bone stuck into the pussy of the earth or something. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, the whole thing. I loved it. I really loved it. It was, it felt, um, it felt like there were, there were three voices in there. There was your voice. There was a strong Bukowski element with the way, you know, this like, uh, this obsession with libido and yeah. Um, the way of the world and drinking and you know popping the head off him like popping the top of his head off like a bottle cap from a beer fantastic imagery and then also i think there was a little bit hunter s thompson in that. i don't know how much of that is the voice that you chose to go for but like there was a bit of like his madness to it yeah i can see that it's not a bad thing i think it's fantastic and possibly shows that doing these right legs you kind of like you keep stuff. Oh no, we're stained. <laughs> we're now stained by Bukowski. <laughs> Talking about every time you look, I'm never gonna be able to look at a, a, a fucking pick again. I'm gonna think <laughs> that's that's a dick. <laughs> everything's to, a dick. That's the trick. Everything's a dick. That's the everything. trick. Is it? <laughs> the trick is everything's a dick. <laughs> I love it. Um, so many like really nice turns of phrase as well because I think you got. 
the vulgarity, yeah, totally. We know we know that. But you also got the way that it was woven into extremely engaging terms of phrase. Perfectly. Like I it, it was very good. I, I stopped I, I stopped remembering the lines because there were too many good lines. And we've had this before. Like you you have a real talent of nailing what feels almost like a soundbite, like a real yeah. <laughs> something for a quote. Um and it, it was really evident in this story. I, I really liked it. Like the bit talking about the the uh, the doctor who's been taking inches from other men. Like oh that made that that was maybe a paragraph if that. And you yeah. completely characterized the situation and used it to add more detail to this horrible existence that this chain gang member has. It was. I think it's interesting that we both. This one's clearly not that far in the past. Especially compared to <laughs> to uh, cave society, as we shall call it. <laughs> Not cave men. We had a female leader by the end, so cave people. <laughs> cave people times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't heard the phrase caveman times for ages. It feels so like disingenuous, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Just so, men. Only men lived in cages then. The Triassic, the the Jurassic, the Cretaceous, (laughs) the Ice Age, caveman times. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's the scientific term and I'm sticking to it. And then it's uh, nothing until the Iron Age, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember which came first, the Bronze or the Iron Age. (laughs) No, it goes Iron Age, Industrial Revolution, (laughs) Bronze Age... The Bronze Age is just after the Atomic Era, I think. Oh, yeah, you're right. They split the atom, and then well, someone possibly. was like, what's this, like, kind of reddy brown metal? <laughs> can we do anything with this? I think we could make really bendy shit swords with this. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I guess. <laughs> if you want. I oh. reading reading um, a bit about how that was that was where the military might of the, uh, the, the Egyptians came from. They had a superior alloy. So much so, it was like a you know it was bronze, like you know tin and and such, um, that the their opponent's swords would bend when they tried to parry. Oh wow! It's like you know you're fucked when you try and block something, and your sword bends. Doesn't snap, bends. Gives you a boomerang. It's there's loads of cool stuff like that, like uh, old Nordic weapons because they would, in preparation, they would do things like burn bones. And mix oh, it in shit. with the metal. They had, yeah. it had carbon in it. Yeah. So they were making like a primitive steel. Yeah. So their stuff was just stronger. That's dank. That's dank. Anyway, we're so off topic. Oh, God, um, yeah, we are miles away. <laughs> absolutely miles off topic. The, the idea of um, chain gangs, you know, cutting a path or something, it's really quite evocative, isn't it? I, I, I remember years ago I watched um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? What film? Which is a great film. Um, and it was impossible not to see your characters in that uniform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the uh, the Indian burial ground that they were just sort of like fairly mindlessly chewing through that this one guy had actually taken any care to be driven mad by. Yeah. Because it's human remains and they were just chewing through it. Um yeah, I loved it. Really, really liked that story. I thought that was that was fantastic. I had a great time writing it, man. Oh, I mean, we we spoke a little bit about it, uh, you know, when we were in the process of writing our stories. But it was in in listening uh, to some of his stuff. So I, you know, I, I read a little bit, but I was listening as I was traveling to and from work, and I, I just at one point I was like, I I have the idea, and I have to write this. And that's the best feeling when you're writing a story. When you're like, if I don't start writing this down now, I might lose it and I cannot let go of the thread. And Yeah, no, I, I know the feeling best. very well. And it also prompts me to my next bit of Bukowski poetry, which I'm going to read. Ye gads. <laughs> Ye gads, there's more. Uh, yeah, because it's something that's... Um... It's it's something that he'd possibly already identified as well. So let's have a little listen to it. So again, this was uh, Charles Bukowski. And it's, uh, so you want to be a writer. To be clear, I'm probably going to only read the first stanza and a half of this. 
If it doesn't come bursting out of you, in spite of everything, don't do it. Unless it comes unasked out of your heart, and your mind, and your mouth, and your gut, don't do it. If you have to sit for hours staring at your computer screen, or hunched over your typewriter searching for words, don't do it. If you're doing it for money or fame, don't do it. If you're doing it because you want woman in your bed, don't do it. If you have to sit there and rewrite it again and again, don't do it. If it's hard work just thinking about doing it, don't do it. If you're trying to write like somebody else, forget about it. If you have to wait for it to roar out of you, then wait patiently. If it never does roar out of you, do something else. Now there is more to that poem, but I thought that was fairly poignant considering we're doing right like episodes. Yeah, I felt thoroughly added there. Like, yeah, yeah, like it bursts out of you and oh. Yeah, if you're trying to write like somebody oh fuck. Bugger. Well, we didn't mention podcasts, so <laughs> <laughs> he did not. Um Go but he has this idea I think he has this idea that it's it, which which is a bit of a myth that I think these this particular era of writers propagated that it's there's some kind of mystical ability and we you know we we try to demystify writing quite a lot in this pod, um, and you can you can do it I I completely disagree with him here I think he's being pretty harsh um, I think he's making a larger point which I'm obviously uh, reducing the lens of and bastardizing a little bit by only reading a section of the poem. Yeah. Um but just from that bit it's it's an outlook, isn't it? It's it's his way of writing. And uh I think anyone can write any way, any which way it works for them. So that's where I that's where I stick with it. But in I my Yeah, go on. I don't think it needs to just apply to creatives like to, to writing or music or art or like take that approach to everything if it hurts you even thinking about doing it then maybe it's just not a thing you should be doing even if that's you know going out to the pub or yeah i think so but also like there's a there's a self-examination that's completely lacking in his outlook here it's like because you know if you're procrastinating something maybe take a look at why you're procrastinating you might still you know need to do it but you're procrastinating it because of social pressures because of mental health issues whatever it is it's important to ta- you know this is a man who'd never really tackled root causes of the problems that he had in his life yeah and drank heavily in order to overcome it like i re- i'm i'm very appreciative of his writing and i don't want to shit on his memory or anything like that but like there's a, there's a more enlightened state of being where you can maybe take a look at the reasons why these things are happening for you yeah and fix it it's positive, you know. You only get one go at this, yeah. And it should be focused heavily on your enjoyment of your experience of being alive. And if that means writing something, or it means going to the pub, or whatever it is, you should try and make sure that you can do it. So, I disagree with him here, but I think he is a fantastic writer. Well, I'm going to have to disagree with you and a word from our sponsor, our corporate overlords. Remember, creativity isn't for you. It's for the other ones. Get back to work. Green is not a creative (laughs) colour. That's a deep ref. Okay. (laughs) Oh, well, come at me, internet. Let's let's go. But I think there's this, um, there's also this concept that possibly he had like, a, you know, because we've gone on about how authentic he was. And just also whilst I was reading about him, there were a few contradictory opinions about that. That this idea of this, you know, force of nature dude, unapologetic, vulgar, was something of like an act for okay. women. For women. Oh. Um, like someone who was quite close to him and ended up editing a bunch of his stuff and then also publishing like a critical paper of his work. Uh, they said that um, he would, you know, they'd have dinner and, we, you know, this man's wife and Bukowski were there and Bukowski would be the man 
at dinner. Yeah. And he would, you know, be hard and tough and witty and all the rest of like and kind of like um spiky a little bit. Yeah. And then he would go around on his own another night to see Bukowski and he'd be a totally different person. Like just with you know, when it was just him and another guy. And so so I think this is someone who had a lot of problems with well, it's a fucking complete understatement to say he had a lot of problems with women. He wrote a book called Women, and it's it's got a lot of it in it. Um, or it might be Woman, actually. I might have got that wrong. But um, fascinating, dude. Fascinating. Yeah, I and mean, I thoroughly enjoyed trying to write like him, despite whatever he fucking says. <laughs> so did I. I. This is one I would do again. Out of all the right likes we've done, this is one yeah. I would a style I would try to write in again. Possibly taking the Bukowski lens off it a bit. But this, I think, this would be a particularly fun one for people to have a go at. So, if anybody is listening along and having a bit of a writing, even if you're not sharing it with other people, then uh, enjoy it. Have have fun with this one because you can get. Uh, it's pretty freeing to just be able to say the most vulgar shit and turn it into some kind of story um, and concepts. So have at it. And uh, if, if you send them to us, I think we, we, we're obligated to read them no matter how horrible they are. So Yeah, I think so. Fun. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Tiny Bookcase. Remember to subscribe, otherwise you're going to miss out on the future fun. Also, tell a friend. If you like this episode, link them to it. We'd be tremendously grateful. You can follow us on Twitter at Bookcase Tiny, Facebook at The Tiny Bookcase, and Instagram at Bookcase Tiny for updates. Speaking of supporting the podcast, well, magic can only take one so far. The Tiny Bookcase is supported by the generosity of its patrons. Those kind souls have really kept my belly full the last year. Let's cast a spell for them, shall we? For a Magnificent Beardery, let's cast the Chinicus Folliculale spell on Gary Laird. For Rich Ginger Tones on the scalp, let us cast the Orangi Hedondo spell for Scott Byrne. And for General Fabulousness, why not the Ooh-la-la Mother spell on Matthew McLaren? How do you come up with that shit, man?